Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey there, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. We're continuing to do two podcasts a week. And we're going to start each episode with just a few minutes on the coronavirus latest with my wife, Dr. Celine Gounder, who's a medical analyst for CNN and the co-host of the podcast Epidemic. Then we'll have an interview with someone interesting from the soccer world. Today's interview guest is Garth Lagerway, the president of soccer for the MLS Cup champion Seattle Sounders. A quick reminder, if you like the podcast, it would really help us out if you go to Apple Podcasts and provide a rating and a review, and we'd appreciate you recommending the podcast to someone you know. Onward! I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, we're recording this Thursday morning, and I'm here on day 16 of home lockdown in New York City with my wife, Dr. Celine Gounder, an infectious disease specialist who's a CNN medical analyst and the co-host of the podcast Epidemic. We're also here with our dogs, Coco and Zizu, two wonderful toy poodles. Um, (laughs) Thanks for joining me. Sure. We're in New York City in the epicenter of the virus in the United States. We're seeing hospitals being overwhelmed now. One hospital alone in Queens had 13 deaths yesterday. 
Uh, you should read the New York Times story about that if you haven't. Uh, Celine, you worked a 13-hour day at Bellevue Hospital a few days ago. What is happening, what has happened to make things so bad here in New York City? Well, New York City is the biggest, densest city in the country by far. So it's not at all surprising that we would be ground zero for the United States. We also have a lot of travel between here and China, as well as some of the other affected countries. And I suspect coronavirus has actually been circulating here in New York probably since early January, if not late December, you know, from over the holidays um, travel at that time. Um, the Queen's Hospital Elmhurst that was uh, written about in the New York Times yesterday that is really suffering from an especially high rate of cases as well as deaths, uh, I think points to the fact that certain populations are at even higher risk within the New York City community. So Queens, uh, you have a lot of people who are just you know, regular workers. Um, they are the people who drive your cab. They are your housekeepers, your nannies. They're the people who make your food and who perform a number of other just, you know, very necessary services for all of us. And these are people who also have continued to take public transportation, the subway, to get to their jobs. These are not folks who get to telework, who get to stay home. They have to keep working if they want to put food on the table. And so we, no question, have seen uh, one um, public transportation use in the outer boroughs, so outside of Manhattan, remain much higher. Um, and we have also seen the hospitals in those areas um, actually hit harder than the hospitals in Manhattan, relatively speaking. And I think it's it's really being driven by the demographics and, and the, the work that these folks are still having to do. Looking at the United States as a whole right now, what is your biggest concern? I remain really concerned that some people are still not taking this seriously, that they don't think that this is any different from influenza. Um, and that is just completely wrong. <laughs> and it's a very dangerous way of thinking. And it's going to lead to many more deaths and frankly, more damage to the economy. The best way to protect the economy is to act fast and decisively on the coronavirus situation, suppress it, get ourselves into a phase where we can then relax some of these restrictions and be more targeted in our approach. But the longer we dilly-dally on that first suppression phase, the longer we're going to draw this out and the more the economic damage in the process. I wanted to ask you about testing. The failure of testing early on, especially the failures of the CDC to produce a useful test, are pretty widely known by now. But I feel like we're hearing some conflicting information. I'm hearing, on the one hand, that we need to get more and more people tested around the country. And I'm also hearing here in New York City that not everyone should be tested. What's your opinion on this disconnect? Well, we're saying not everybody should be tested because we simply do not have enough tests. So right now we're in a rationing strategy. So does having the test change what I am going to do for you as a doctor? So I'll give you an example of a patient I saw um, a couple days ago. So this is a patient who had a chronic lung infection. Actually, your mom had this infection. Uh, it's a distant cousin of tuberculosis called Mycobacterium avium. We often see this in people who have other underlying lung conditions like cystic fibrosis or other sorts of scarring of the lungs. And this man, um, unfortunately had had issues getting his insurance to cover one of the three antibiotics he was supposed to be taking. Um, so the, he was on and off those antibiotics or that particular antibiotic. 
Um, he had been hospitalized basically a month prior where they suspected that it was because he had not been taking that antibiotic. Um, and unfortunately, this is the American medical system. You know, you have insurance lapses and that creates new issues. Um, and now he's coming in with with cough and, and shortness of breath. And then the question is, is that because, again, he's just not getting that antibiotic he needs, or does he now also have COVID-19? So testing somebody like that actually provides very important information because, you know, if it's just that it's the insurance issue still and it's the antibiotic that he needs, that's a relatively more solvable thing and we don't necessarily need to keep him in the hospital for very long. If he has COVID-19, very different story, we need to keep him in the hospital and he may end up on a ventilator. So that's that's how we're using the test now. If you have so, if you have uh, mild symptoms, um, even if you know it's fever, um, it, as long as you're not short of breath and you're not somebody in one of these very high risk categories for severe disease, we're really recommending uh, by and large against testing. And again, that's a rationing strategy. But I, I think there, it's also important to understand there's different kinds of tests. The test that it's available right now, the jargony term is PCR. So basically you're trying to detect the genetic material of the virus in your body. And that's really more useful for diagnosing somebody who's in the throes of infection, throes of disease. Um, it's not very useful for figuring out who has had the disease and is now immune. And that would require antibody tests. Those are in development. I'm hoping that those come out soon. And doing antibody testing would be very useful at a population level because then you could say, oh, well, you you had it at some point, maybe you didn't even know it, you're immune now, you can go back to work because you're not gonna be somebody who can help transmit the disease, you're not somebody who's at risk for getting the disease. Um, so that kind of test, it, it's still not available and that's the kind of test we really wanna be doing on a, broad, on a broad scale. What out there is making you hopeful right now? You know, I, I, I am hopeful in that I see my colleagues really doubling down and, and doing their best at work, um, even in a situation that's far from ideal for their own protection. Um, it does concern me that there may not be complete transparency and honesty about the dangers of the work that they're doing. Um, and again, I think that's part of rationing, but rationing and saying, oh, well, this is perfectly safe is, I think, dishonest. I think, um, you know, first responders at the time of 9-11 rushed to the scene, not because they thought it was perfectly safe. They did so because, yes, yes, they recognized the risks of, of helping on, you know, on the scene at ground zero, but they did so because they had a professional commitment to that work. And I think, that's part of showing respect to people who are professionals in that way is to say, look, okay, here are the risks. These, this is a less than ideal situation in terms of the protection we can provide. Um, so I, I, that does concern me. But I, I think my colleagues are really um, the utmost of professionals. They're highly committed to their work. They're highly committed to their patients. And, you know, I think that's really inspiring to see. I got a question from one of our listeners, and I'll read it here. Various authorities have spoken and or written forcefully about the need for individuals to keep physical distance from each other for a future whose foreseeable extent has no end. But I have also seen a number of respected medical professionals say and or write that one is allowed to do things with members of one's household, i.e. a husband or wife or child. 
Would Salim be willing to address the psychological impact that the aforementioned exception has on single people and others who live alone? Yeah, so I mean, the way I think about this, and I think I've said this before on this podcast and elsewhere, um, I think about it as the household bubble. And, you know, literally like a bubble, you don't want to pop it with anything coming in or out of that. Um, So if you live alone, then unfortunately, your household bubble is a bubble of one. Um, And so, yes, that's extremely isolating in this situation. I mean, I think the things to be doing is to be reaching out to people um, virtually. Um, You know, last weekend, Grant and I had a uh, wine and cheese date with some friends uh, online. And, you know, we have some more of that coming up this weekend. And I think doing that kind of thing is really important. You know, have a dinner date with somebody over Skype or Zoom. Um, You know, and I I think one other thing to consider um, might be getting a pet. Um, And how to do that in the middle of all of this, I'm not 100% sure, Um, you know, what would be the safe way to do that. Uh, But, you know, that that may be a way of having some companionship that's not going to be putting you at risk for infection and others at risk for infection. Now, just to wrap up here, what are you looking for in the next few days here in the U.S.? Well, I, I think, sadly, things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. I am hoping that in the next two weeks, um, things will start to improve in New York City after that you know, ongoing surge, um, that in two weeks' time, we'll start to see the benefits of what we're doing right now in terms of lockdown. Um, but there is a lag time because with an incubation of 14 days, the cases you see today are representative of what happened two weeks ago. Um, So I I do think we need to be a little bit patient um, and in terms of assessing the impact of what we're doing today and realize that things are going to get worse in the meantime. Um, So I guess that's, that's what I'm anticipating coming up here. Dr. Celine Gounder is an infectious disease expert. She's a CNN medical analyst and the co-host of the podcast Epidemic, which you should check out. She's also my wife, and I'm really proud of her. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Big thanks to Dr. Celine Gounder. Next up is my interview with Garth Lagerway. Our guest is Garth Lagerway today. Garth is the president of soccer, the soccer czar, if you will, of the Seattle Sounders reigning MLS Cup champions. Garth, lots going on in the world. Thanks for joining the show. How are you doing? We're doing okay. You know, it's been a a really interesting couple of weeks. And, and, uh, you know, I think in some ways, although Seattle's been the hardest hit, it's been a little bit of an advantage to be first because I think we knew some things before the country did. And we've had the the benefit of having a really good governor, a really good mayor of Seattle, really good uh, county executive, and some really smart public health officials uh, that I think have been making a lot of the right calls. So uh, definitely grateful for their leadership. Yeah, Seattle's definitely been one of the hotspots for coronavirus in the United States. Um, Could you lead me through a little bit of just what the last three to four weeks have been like for you and your job? Um, you know, on some level, the jobs become secondary, you know, you, you wind up, you know, you have on the one hand, this, this philosophically interesting transformation, you know, from going into the office every day and, and being around, you know, what are now, what we're now calling mass gatherings and, um, being, you know, around lots of people to, you know, teleworking and not leaving our house. And, um, you know, we had a situation where, where, uh, my mother-in-law was, was at risk and she needed to spend with us. 
Um, and that meant that for a period of time, I actually had to quarantine myself. We, we, you know, we're fortunate enough. We have a little apartment over our garage. So we had a separate space. Um, and I went in there, uh, while I was, uh, still going out and going to work every day and, um, uh, going to the stadium and going to meetings and things like that. And, um, but, you know, had a verb, uh, you know, self, not, I guess I wasn't really isolating, so I was never sick, but, you know, seeing myself from my mother-in-law to keep from bringing anything home. And so that was sobering, you know, that, that, that made the experience pretty real and certainly not a hardship by the, by comparison to what anybody else is going through. Um, but it's been, it's been an interesting couple of weeks and, you know, the only way we're going to get through, you know, the other message that we have here for sure is the only way we're going to get through this is, is all together. And, um, you know, was just, you know, walking around our neighborhood today and like, I've talked to my neighbors more in the last, you know, 10 days than I had in the previous two years. So, mm-hmm. you know, shame on me that I haven't done that in the past, but just, you know, with this, you know, they're expressing safe social distancing. I think everybody's, everybody's wants to be helpful and supportive and, you know, everybody knows somebody who's been positive at this point and, you know, everyone's kind of in it together. So that, that part has been really, really hard. Um, Seattle is the location of uh, one location, the the Life Center, where many, many senior citizens passed away, tragically. Uh, you mentioned your mother-in-law uh, was living with you. Uh, is she doing okay? She's doing great. Yep, she's doing great. Like I said, uh, there, there are many people with much bigger problems. She just, her apartment was right across the street from Life Care. Um, and, you know, the, the kind of thing, it's like a, like a lot of complexes, you know, it's retail on the bottom and, and residential up top. And, um, you know, the retail stores were where, you know, the workers from the Life Care facility, you know, uh, worked and interacted every day. And unfortunately, the very high uh, infection rate of those workers and, um, you know, so that's why we, we took the actions we did, you know, out of an abundance of caution and, and, but our, you know, everybody's healthy and we feel really lucky and blessed as a family. I do want to say to listeners that we are going to talk a little bit later about lighter topics, uh, including, uh, your appearance in a very good story in the athletic that just came out about really fun, great stories in the history of MLS. So we will get to that eventually, but, um, in terms of how, you have dealt with your players during this stretch. What are, what have the Sounders communicated to your players? I, it's been it's been interesting because again, you're you're not in this alone. You know there need to be league-wide. You know when you're trying to address, like for example, international travel. Um, you know as compared to U.S. government regulations. I mean there there has to be a league policy on that. You know that can't be a one-off team by team decision. Um, and you know, you have, the issues are are incredibly complex sometimes because you'll have the national guidance, but then you'll have your own local guidance and you have to comply with both. And the league has this, then this layer of trying to have everyone comply in the same manner with everything. And so, you know, and and on some things, you know, everything lines up pretty easily and others it's, it's really complicated and intricate. So. Um, but we've had great compliance and understanding among our players so far about, you know, we're, we're at this point, we're similar to you, Grant, we're, we're sheltering in place and um, there just aren't a lot of options uh, to, you know, to go work out. But you look, you can still go outside and you can still go to the park and go for a run. And um, we've had two things that we've done for our guys. One is we made them a little care package with a ball and some resistance bands and some hand sanitizer and, um, you know, it was something they were able to to pick up before we got to, to shelter in place, just coming literally one at a time and and to the, and picking it up outside the facility. Um, and 
so they had all that to aid in their workouts. But then the, the probably the breakout star of our of our COVID nineteen break has been Sean Muldoon, uh, who's one of our performance coaches, and more importantly, he has a daughter, a two year old uh, named Stella, and so he would model uh, all the exercises we wanted the guys to do in little videos, uh, and uh, Stella uh, would participate. So so you had both uh, Sean's version and Stella's version, uh, and you, you know so the whole family could could, could uh, work out alongside and. You know, we've done other things that have been a lot of fun where uh, Jake, who's one of our team masseuses and, and uh, is our team yoga instructor. And so he did a yoga class, not just for the players, but for the whole staff. And so we've been trying to do things like that to bring everybody together. And, you know, hopefully they help. Um, but I think some of it is just being uh, being humble and being sympathetic and understanding that, you know, if you have players from a different country that are here and, and maybe without their families, like that's 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 really tough. Yeah. And you want to try to do anything you can to help them. Yeah, I know the league has continued a policy. We'll get an announcement from the league every week or two saying that training won't happen until this date, and they kind of keep moving it along. Uh, in their most recent announcement, they said that they were now going to allow maybe some players to leave their markets if they were going to be driving by car to somewhere. Do you have any guys in that situation who are now going to be able to leave their market by leave the market by car? Yeah, I want to be careful that I think that came out literally like six hours ago. <laughs> okay. So, like, so I, as far as I know, no, Grant. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly, if those came up, we would address them as soon as we could and in mm -hmm. as diligent a manner as we could. And, um, you know, it, it still is, you know, the advice of, uh, I know, our governor and, and the State Department, what I understand is, you know, don't travel unless you have to. So mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that the league's intention with that is to try to be accommodating and understanding of situations. And, you know, we had some of our younger players, uh, you know, who were who are not 18 years old yet, who are, not, who are minors. You know, we told them right away, like, look, if you want to go home and be with your parents, you know, we, we understand. So mm -hmm. you know, we've tried to accommodate where we can. Um, but, you know, you know, travel is its own risk right now. Uh, and we're all trying to help our community by keeping everybody inside and, uh, you know, trying to, you know, trying to save lives collectively, you know, even if, uh, you know, maybe the professional athletes are not the ones who are personally themselves at risk. Garth, I know you've been on a bunch of group calls with different groups over the last few weeks. Was there ever one particular call where the real magnitude of all of this hit you and you sort of realized, wow, we could really be shut down for a long time. Yeah. And, and I'm going to answer that maybe slightly different than you intended to ask the question, Grant. And, and I, that call, when that moment came for me, was one of the very first league-wide calls about this situation. And we were discussing the training protocols and things like that. And and, you know, we basically said, like, in, here in Seattle, like, we can't train. Like, it's not, you know, you guys don't understand. Like, w this is here. This is real. Like, this is what we have to do. And it wasn't that people didn't, did, they, they didn't, that they, did, they disagreed or they didn't understand. It was just, it hadn't hit anywhere yet. It was in Seattle and not yet in New York. And, you know, it was this, this aha moment of, like, holy cow, like, we have to preach about this. Like we have to, people have to understand. I mean, and, and all of all of us as humans are often guilty of you're not going through it. It's hard to appreciate what someone else is, especially something like this that is literally unprecedented, at least within the last century. Uh, and so we had to do some and to say, look, you know, this is this is really it, and it's probably 
you know, going to be in your area soon. So, and, you know, I think we were fortunate that we, that people were willing to listen. Um, and, and we did get taken seriously. And, and I don't mean me personally, but I mean, our, our medical people, our doctors, our public health officials. Um, and I, I do think, uh, that we were able to, to, to push the ball, maybe at least marginally faster ahead in terms of, uh, locking things down and trying to make as many people as safe as possible. Do you have any idea when MLS is coming back? I don't. And I think anybody who tells you they do, you know, is it, it's, you know, look, we obviously have the official statement and, you know, I think, which I think is somewhere in May. And look, I think it's an important role for of sports. You hopeful. And do we hope we can come back in that, in that time frame? And it's, and it's, it's really important to be sincere too. So I want to stress that too. I don't think people are insincere in putting out a date like that. And I think it's a hopeful date. And I think that after we all go through this, uh, that people are going to want to come back to concerts and sporting events and outdoor celebrations. And especially here in Seattle in the summer when the weather's nice, I think there'll be, that could be a great source of renewal and joy to everybody. But I think the reality is that nobody's sure right now, you know, and, and nobody wants to jump the gun. Um, you know, the, the, the health and safety of our fans, our staff and our players are our number one priority. And, you know, we're, we're definitely not going to play without all of the requisite government and league approvals. And, you know, if, if that comes by May, that'd be wonderful. Um, you know, but we're certainly prepared for it to go longer than that as well. Yeah. Um, I, I guess when you look at the international, like this came up uh, today, the international soccer market, I saw an interesting quote from Uli Honus at Bayern Munich, and he thinks that just soccer globally will be changed as a result of this, uh, including the, the, the market for players. Like he thinks that there won't be a hundred million dollar player in, in European soccer uh, this summer or maybe for a while. Have you thought at all about what the sort of global impact on on the sport might be from this? Sure. I mean, uh, it, you know, if there'll be market disruptions without a question, you know, and I don't think that's special to soccer. I think that's, you know, you're talking about, you know, global economic uh, repercussions. And again, I think it's premature to, to speculate as to what those might or might not be. But um, to state the obvious, we've had, you know, big uh, valuation uh, dips from a stock market perspective. Um, and, and, you know, national economies are going to probably have some relation to player prices. I mean, it, it, it's, I think it's pretty logical to, to draw that conclusion. So, so yeah, I think, I think we could be in a, in a different world. And I think fortunately for us uh, here in Seattle, unfortunately for MLS, uh, we are generally on pretty good financial footing. Um, I think we're in a position to be able to weather something like this and, um, you know, we might be, it's, you know, it's conceivable we might be better positioned than some other leagues and some other teams. And, uh, you know, I don't know what Mr. Honus was referencing directly, but maybe that's what he had in mind. Yeah. Um, I want to, uh, switch gears here, uh, somewhat drastically. It is still possible to smile. Um, and, uh, I've always had fun since way back in the day when you were doing your guest columns for Sports Illustrated and, and you wrote about off the field stuff, fun stories in MLS. And you were quoted in this recent story in The Athletic by uh, my friends Pablo Maurer and Sam Stasekel uh, that had 25 fun stories from the history of MLS. And it was pretty terrific. And I was wondering, I don't know if you had much time to, to check it out, what uh, you thought about it. <coughs> I've, gotten, I've gotten text messages from 
from <laughs> former colleagues about it. Uh, and so I, I need to go into depth. I, I was able to scan it briefly, and, and I know there's there's one RSL story in there um, <laughs> about my having been outwitted by a number of my players. And I, I have to confess, I think it's I think it's correct. I, I uh, <laughs> you know if they if they pulled it off uh, to get to get themselves to the concert that night, I, I definitely was not aware of it. So uh, you know, good for them, and and uh, you know, especially. Uh, that, you know, if those are young guys figuring something out, then, uh, yeah, I got to tip my cap to them. I, I do think from the early 2000s MLS and late 90s MLS, which is when you were a player in the league uh, and a keen observer on the inside of what was going on, there's a there's more than 25 stories, right? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Let's just say that, uh, I mean, the, the, way, the way I phrase the best thing I can do to get perspective to this is that I, I played five years in the league. And at no time did I have a full-time position coach. So I, I never had a goalkeeper coach. We had, you know, we had volunteers and had, you know, awesome guys, guys that I'm friends with to this day, but, you know, literally never had someone who was paid a goalkeeper coach. So, you know, it, it's, it's inconceivable now, you know, that, that it was that way. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a, a different world. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think the guys at the beginning of the league probably don't get enough credit for having kept it alive through the contraction and then, you know, the relaunch and, you know, and then, uh, you know, David Beckham changed everything. You know, I, I still will, the mo mo one of my most, you know, poignant MLS moments is actually when I wasn't MLS, I was doing some TV stuff for, uh, for DC United filling in here and there, but I was working at Latham in, in my office in DC and David Beckham got announced and all of a sudden the, you know, a lot of the women attorneys in the office who had not previously been concerned with soccer, uh, wanted to know if I could get a DC United tickets. So when Beckham came to town, so you know it, it's we've seen these massive changes uh, in the league over time, and I think this it's one of those one of the bummers of being out right now is not being able to tell some of these. You know, I think it's important to look at how, especially in these tough times, like how far the league has come in twenty five years. Um, you know, it, it, it's it is really remarkable when you look at some of the positives. Well, and, and David Beckham is now uh, an owner of the new team in Miami, and Miami has a team again. You played for the late, great Miami Fusion back in the day. Um, anything stick out to you from those days? Yeah, well, first I'll, I'll say is that once I saw that, that they were uh, officially been named as the team and stuff, I immediately called Paul McDonough and said, look, if you guys want to retire my jersey, you, you have my permission. <laughs> um, so he he, uh, he just as quickly said, "There's no chance that's ever happening," uh, and, and, and uh, nor should there be. So uh, you know, it, it, stories. I mean, it again, like like in Lockhart, in the old Lockhart, which is nothing like the new Lockhart. Um, and if you looked at the pictures, started construction with like trees at the playing field and stuff like that. Right. But like it was literally a cinder block locker room, like like. Cinder blocks, like like you would take out of you know like a, a hardware store, and like they were painted white, and it was like a roll, and you had a wooden bench that was in the in the room, and like you 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 had a you know a, a metal locker that was affixed. I, I can't remember if it was on the floor. It's probably just freestanding on the floor, but you know any high school gym you had been in was probably better appointed than that locker room was, and that was the home locker room. You know, that was the big one. <laughs> So, you know, like, it's just stuff like that. And I walked out up this path and, you know, like the hospital, the streets there, right? Hospitality, the tent we put up in the corner 
where like, you know, the VIPs can sun for a second. Um, and we would go in there and I mean, I think this seems almost absurd in retrospect, we'd go in there and free beer if you mingled with some of the sponsors and so <laughs> for young players it's like that's one of the things you did it's like you know it's ridiculous like we didn't have sports we didn't have strength and conditioning coaches we didn't have nutrition coaches, we didn't have performance coaches like would have recoiled from you know stuff that was like standard practice at that time so uh you know fortunately the the league has evolved well, uh, it's. I enjoyed getting a laugh there. I appreciate you sharing that. I also appreciate you just sharing how you've experienced all of this uh, current coronavirus situation because it's a really big deal. But um, you know, I feel like we're going to get through this together and and do so as a soccer community. I agree with that, Grant. And I think here in, in Seattle, we have the opportunity to to be leaders in this community and uh, you know, stay safe, stay sanitized. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you and I talked a little bit before we started recording and thought that, uh, this might be tough to make this a light and bouncy interview, but, uh, I, I appreciate you did your best here with, with the brilliant fans. All right. Thanks, Garth. Stay safe. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Dr. Celine Gounder and Garth Lagerway, as well as producer Harry Swartout and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember, if you like the podcast, it would really help us out if you go to Apple Podcasts and provide a rating and a review, and we'd appreciate you recommending the podcast to someone you know. Be safe, everyone. I'll see you next time.